Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of September 8th, 2020, and this is officially episode number 449, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And uh, I'm back after a week hiatus. I was celebrating my uh, birthday. We'll keep it at that. Uh, we're not going to dis- disclose numbers. It's a lot of numbers. Uh, I could have burned half the neighborhood down if I uh, would have had candles on my cake. So um, decided to take the night off last week for my birthday, ha- having to land on the, my birthday. But I wasn't sure if I was going to do that or not. So that's why I didn't make any sort of announcement. But uh, we're back. All that's behind us now. And we look forward to we're in the stretch. This is it. We're uh, in September. Uh, Labor Day is over, so summer is officially over. Well, unofficially over. Uh, now you can't wear white after Labor Day, I guess. That's what they say. I don't know who says that, but uh, that's that's what they say. And fall is upon us. I know uh, usually yesterday, yesterday we had some horrible weather here, heavy storms that uh, swiped across the Great Lakes, tons of rain. Uh, and again, today, you know, it's uh, very hot, 88 degrees outside. So I don't know what's going on weather-wise, but it's uh, getting darker earlier and uh, lighter later. So it's uh, it's coming. Um, so fall is upon us. So what's going to happen with the paranormal news as we hit fall? And I think a lot of that hinders on this whole COVID situation, but it seems like a lot of people are trying to go back to life pre-COVID. Uh, we'll find out what all that means. Uh, but tonight we're going to talk Loch Ness Monster a little bit. Don't don't worry. Don't uh, don't leave yet. I know a lot of people don't want to talk or hear about the Loch Ness Monster, but some interesting factoids about the Loch Ness Monster. Plus. We'll talk a little alligator drama happening in the Northeast again. And we'll also talk about uh, a viral video that's circulating around. Try to get to the bottom of that. We'll also have some UFO sighting statistics from both MUFON and New Fork. And that's some pretty interesting stuff. I I love statistics. So a lot of numbers coming your way uh, tonight on the show. Uh, as far as uh, conferences, conventions, I really haven't had the chance to update that portion of the website, paranewsinsider.com, in the last couple of weeks. So I've not had uh, any real updates. Uh, all I can tell you is I do know that this coming weekend, actually, no, it starts tomorrow. Uh, yeah, it starts tomorrow. The 9th through the 12th is the International UFO Congress in Phoenix, Arizona, unfortunately, it's not a live event as far as you can go there and hang out and chit-chat with people. It's going to be streaming only. So you're going to have to uh, – what's the – what's well, ufocongress.com. You can head over there and see. I haven't, uh, I haven't checked that out, so I don't know 
what all that entails, but uh, it's going to be streaming only. Uh, don't have, let's see, the Van Meter, Van Meter Visitor Festival is the only cryptid one I have on my list. September 26th in Van Meter, Iowa. I don't know if that's still going on or not. Uh, I have to check that out. But uh, no ghost events listed. I think everything through the end of the year is canceled, rescheduled, postponed. Yeah, that's it. It's over. Uh, for uh, well, no, I got the I got some in October. Hold on, October, November, and uh, that's it. October, November. So a few. I don't know if those have been canceled, rescheduled, or not. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to really look at that yet. But uh, you can see in the entire list of conferences, conventions. If you're interested or going, thinking of going to one of these or already going to one of those, you can uh, find the list of links to those events at paranewsinsider.com and click on the events tab at the top. But as, as always, if you have any information about any event or you know of one that's being canceled, it's going on or whatever, it's it's really hard to keep up with all this stuff and I could use your help. So you can let me know if you have any information. You can email me at insider at paranewsinsider.com. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter or that's about it. That's uh, the only social media platforms I hang out on anymore. Uh, so with that, we're going to jump into the news, into the cryptid arena. A lot of news in the cryptid arena lately. And uh, you would think if you pay attention to the paranormal news, it seems like it's almost all UFO stuff. But uh, not everything is, is what it seems. There's a lot of UFO stories Kind of getting ahead of myself here. I was going to talk about this later, but why not? We'll talk about it now. Uh, a lot of UFO stories that are just complete garbage, and that's why I'm not going to talk about them. Um, it's a little bit of that. I've, I've talked about it before, but I tend to ignore this uh, reason for it, and I don't like to glorify certain people that are a part of the problem out there, but uh, this is kind of wearing me thin, and that's a pun. Uh, there's a certain gentleman... Uh, who tends to appear in a lot of these really garbagey stories, uh, a man named Scott Waring, who claims to be a UFO uh, expert, among other things. Uh, most of his stories are just made-up stuff. Uh, he'll take a video, he'll take a photo, and just add some backstory to it, saying it's it's a UFO doing this or that. Uh, and I, whenever I see his name, I just tend to close the window. I don't even read these stories uh, that he's uh, a part of anymore because so many of them have come up to be complete hoaxes. But I'm um, trying to steer around that, uh, looking at a few of these stories uh, because they are news. But most of those fizzle and fade out so fast that, yeah, I don't even uh, bother to talk about them. And, you know, we've we've talked about people being experts in the paranormal, but when you make a claim that you're a UFO expert, unless you're talking about knowing all of the sightings and people associated with sightings and, and, and things like that, maybe you could be an expert as far as categorizing or cataloging sightings. But as far as knowing everything there is to know about aliens, uh, that's a little loony. Anyway, back to cryptid news. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster has made the news this week. Um, uh, 
But uh, when I wrote this story, it was before another story broke about the Loch Ness Monster. Um, this one here is not about another blurry sighting from a webcam from about five miles away. Uh, this comes from a website called Mental Floss. Mental Floss. It's a, a great resource of knowledge on a lot of random topics. I used to get uh, a magazine from Mental Floss, a really cool, interesting magazine full of so many factoids and real information, not just things like Snapple facts that are probably wrong, uh, not beliefs. These are actually real information that's uh, researched, cross-checked, and uh, I love stuff like that. I'm, I'm full of useless information myself. Um, I don't think they make the magazine anymore, but they do have a website, a YouTube channel, and they're on other forms of social media. And uh, I read a lot of their stories quite frequently. They pop up in my Facebook feed and I think my Twitter feed as well. So constantly reading their stuff and I trust their information. Uh, they have a story published on September 4th in their travel section. It's titled Cryptid Currency, How the Loch Ness Monster Became a Force in Scotland's Economy. And I often make a reference to the fact that the Loch Ness Monster is an important part of the local economy. When I talk about Loch Ness Monster stories, that it doesn't add a lot of money, uh, a lot of income, just because this creature that uh, really nobody knows if it really exists. As a matter of fact, we've had a number of stories over the years that have proven otherwise, that there is no creature known as the Loch Ness Monster in the Loch, but people still show up in droves to see it. I think the story is bigger than if there's an actual creature in the water. Uh, it's, it's never going to end. Uh, the story focuses on our friend, Gary Campbell, who we've talked about a number of times, who is in charge of the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register and is apparently the leader of the Loch Ness Monster Fan Club, which I didn't know was a thing until I read this story. Uh, Campbell says that people come to the area because of the Loch Ness Monster, stating the area is nice and all. It's got great scenery, but people don't care about that. They're here for Nessie. And of course, people end up falling in love with the area or notice other things. And uh, so the Loch Ness Monster brings them there, but they end up looking at other things, which is important to the economy as well. In 2018, Campbell released a study after analyzing data from the tourism board, as well as businesses around Loch Ness. And he estimated that the Loch Ness Monster adds about 41 million pounds sterling which is about $54 million U.S. Um, that's pretty, that's a lot of money to bring in a, a year to uh, a local economy. Uh, the article also talks a bit about the birth of the Loch Ness Monster, which I found a little interesting. Now, not the physical birth, not like a creature giving birth on the bank of Loch Ness. That's silly. That'd be kind of cool, but... Um, the birth of the legend surrounding the Loch Ness Monster. And like every other lake in the United Kingdom, uh, even here in the United States, we don't really hear too much about them anymore because most of our Native American folklore is uh, buried or discarded or forgotten about. 
Uh, but in Europe, it's uh, quite still quite celebrated in many areas. Uh, it's certainly not forgotten. Uh, almost every lake had some sort of water creature attached to it, uh, real or, or imaginary or folklore. Uh, and obviously, Loch Ness also had that. In 564 A.D., uh, an Irish abbot was said to have witnessed a beast rising from the loch. Of course, that story has gone on to be the basis for the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, but again, that was pretty common. And stories like that were taken with a heavy grain of salt. I mean, if you really looked into other lakes in Europe, there's even more fantastic stories of lakes that uh, don't have any sightings of any creatures at all. Uh, fast forward to 1933. That's a big span of time that we're forgetting about here, but 1933. Now, this is when an article in the Ivernus Courier got worldwide attention. It had the title of Strange Spectacle on Loch Ness. What was it? Now, of course, they don't mention the fact that evidence that uh, local hotel owners had actually created the legend uh, that made up the article, which set things in motion that are still part of the modern-day sightings. They don't talk about that, uh, which is a story we covered a couple of years ago that uh, local uh, hotel owners got together and said, hey, you know what? We're not making a whole lot of money. There's not a whole lot of visitors coming here. Uh, they're building a road around Loch Ness, but we need to get people to drive on this road. What do we do? Well, what about that uh, Loch Ness monster thing? Uh, yeah, let's let's dig that thing up and start talking about it. So it's kind of funny. Around the time that this road is being built and these hotels are being built, the Loch Ness Monster story came out at the same time. Kind of interesting. Uh, but they do mention the fact that King Kong, the old black and white movie, had premiered about two months earlier. And, well, monster stories were pretty popular in the news. And, of course, the world can always use Another monster. Uh, these days, it's thought that the Loch Ness Monster not only lived in the water, but also walked on land. So back in the 1930s, uh, you know, nowadays we kind of just think of Loch Ness Monster as this, like, head that pops out of the water, sometimes humps, and just disappears. And that's all we see of this creature. But back in the 30s, uh, people thought that this was walking around, not just in the water. He was hanging out on the banks. Um, so a man named Marmaduke Weather Weatherill, who is a big game hunter, was hired by the Daily Mail, which is still around. It's one of my favorite websites, uh, news sites. Not really. Uh, to uh, find the creature. So Marmaduke quickly discovered footprints that he felt belonged to the monster. Great job there by Marmaduke Weatherill. Uh, but it wasn't long that people who... Uh, you know, this story came out, wasn't long, people flocked to the lock. I love that, flocked to the lock to hopefully get a glimpse of the creature. And uh, they came in droves. The local hotels were full, streets were packed. The Loch Ness Monster became pretty much an overnight sensation due to this uh, story unfolding. But it was discovered that these tracks that were found by Marmaduke Weatherill were actually created by a hippopotamus but not a live hippopotamus, a dead one. 
And not just a dead hippopotamus, but a stuffed hippopotamus foot. So yeah, hoaxes were around even back in the 1930s surrounding the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, the Daily Mail then mocked Wetherill, who then in turn purportedly helped create the famous surgeon's photo as a way to get back at the Daily Mail. Uh, and the surgeon's photo is the one that we all, uh, we all, when we think of the Loch Ness Monster, that's the one that we see. We see the little head sticking out of the water. Uh, a lot of... Uh, a lot of things have been written and said about that, that it was just basically a little toy submarine that was underwater. Uh, the uh, surgeon took this photograph uh, and then posted it as his own, even though uh, Wetherill and others were behind this photograph to really mock the Daily Mail. It kind of backfired uh, because it became really famous. It's one of the most famous uh, photographs Pretty much of, I mean, other than the Patterson-Gimlin film, I don't know of any other creature photograph that is as popular as a surgeon's photo. Uh, it's a great article. If you get the chance to read it, uh, it's fantastic. Again, it's on the uh, Mental Floss website. And I'm going to throw that link in the chat room. And if don't worry, if you're not in the chat room, I will be posting these links throughout the week via Facebook, and my Facebook is tied into Twitter. Now, Facebook has been a real pain in the rear end. Uh, we used to be able to schedule things, but it's not been working, at least not for me lately, to schedule posts. So bear with me. And again, that's all through Paranews Insider. So facebook.com forward slash Paranews Insider. And on Twitter, at Paranews Insider. I'll have links to those articles if you're not in chat. And if you're not in chat, that's a great reason to be in chat. And, you know, some of these, and I've mentioned this before, obviously this is Mental Floss's article, but some of the stuff that's being talked about tonight, uh, there are links that some popular uh, paranormal news websites are, are kind of linking up to or saying here's the article uh, but some of those may not have all the information so that's where i dig up and find some of these links some of the better links associated with some of these stories um, try to get you the best information so that's why you should follow my links or you know be in here in chat uh, so speaking of the loch ness monster uh, we also mentioned the Loch Ness Monster Sightings Registry. Well, we now have the seventh official sighting of 2020. It's been recorded. And back on August 29th, Mr. Van Schurbeck was on holiday with his family, or I guess what we'd call a vacation to those of us here in the United States, uh, when he took a picture of Loch Ness and later on discovered that he might have found the elusive beast. You know, it's always drives me crazy. People uh, are always taking pictures and they don't see these things and they find them later on. So a few days later, Mr. Van Schurbeck saw this uh, crazy creature in the water. It's just scary. It's mind-boggling uh, what this thing looks like. So yeah, a few days later, scouring through his photos, he sees something sticking up out of the water. 
Yeah, well, it's not really mind-boggling. It's not scary. It's so far away. It's just like everything else we've seen this year. It's really unrecognizable. It's so far away. Uh, but I have to say it is better than some of the other stuff we've seen this year coming out of Loch Ness. And uh, if you're in chat, I will deposit a picture of that. It's actually taking from the Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, a kind of a composite of two photographs. The top photograph is the actual picture. Now, I added the little green circle. I'm not a big fan of red circles, so I use green circles. Kind of matches the uh, the paint scheme here at the Paranormal News Insider, if I do say so myself. Um, so the top photograph, I don't know how he saw that little fleck. I don't know how he, you know he managed to see that. Must have really been looking at these photographs pretty close. Uh, and the bottom picture is kind of a zoomed-in, cropped piece where you can see this little thing sticking up. And if I were to circle it, I mean, had I not seen it circled in other photographs, I don't think I would have seen it. So, yeah, it's pretty far away, and it's really indistinguishable. I try to zoom in, and it just gets pixely, so you can't really see it. Yes, pixely is actually a word. If it's not, I just made it up. So, yeah, seven sightings of the Loch Ness Monster. How exciting. It's September. Uh, so I'll throw a link to that story into chat uh, as well. Seven sightings. Well, I don't think anybody really cares. Uh, but at least that area is open to tourism. And uh, they're starting to get to a little bit of normal life out there in Scotland. And uh, now, one of my favorite topics, uh, alligators on the loose. I used to talk a lot about mountain lions. And of course, there's not really been too much good news in the way of mountain lions here in the, the east coast of the United States. But I've noticed a, a rash of uh, alligator sightings in the northeastern United States over the course of the last few years. And last year, I really got into it. And I don't know, by coincidence, we had a very large story out of Chicago. And uh, we also last year had a Quite a few happened in Pittsburgh last year. And, yeah, I know, they're not really true cryptids. A lot of these were just dumped pets. You know, people have these alligators. They buy them at a trade show. They buy them online. They get them delivered. They put them in the bathtub or an aquarium. Then they move them to the bathtub. Then they realize that uh, they're too big. And a lot of times when they hit two or three feet long, They've had it for a few months. They've lost interest, maybe a, a couple of years. They've lost interest in these creatures, and they just go out and they dump them in a creek. They dump them in a lake. They dump them in a retention pond. And hopefully somebody sees them so they can be rescued and they can be saved. Because here in the Northeast, they cannot survive a cold winter. Uh, I don't think many people that have these things really understand that. So they dump them out in the, the wild where they don't belong here in the United States, uh, in the Northeast, and they die. And if uh, they've been in captivity, raised in captivity, they might not be able to survive out in the wild, even in the South. And it's crazy how many of these sightings of random alligators, uh, caiman, crocodiles, are found in the Northeast. And it makes you wonder just how many more happen that are not discovered. Well, last year, there was a total of seven alligator sightings 
just in the greater Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area alone. Three of these being discovered in less than a month. Now, most of the alligator sightings were of animals less than three feet long, but one sighting was of a five-foot-long alligator named Chomp. Well, Chomp escaped from a home uh, which led to the owner being charged with 33 counts of negligence, uh, along with single counts of animal cruelty, as well as reckless endangering others. Police ended up removing 32 animals from his residence. Now, this year, back on August 8th, Mike Pierce of Pierce's Pet Place in Indiana County, Pennsylvania, alerted police that two alligators had been stolen from his pet shop. And this included a six-foot-long female and a four-foot-long male alligator. Uh, Both were reported stolen. Now, some speculated that maybe, just maybe, they escaped on their own. Uh, This is, uh, they're kept in an outdoor enclosure, and apparently the door uh, was opened and they were gone. But apparently there were 12 screws that were removed from the enclosure, which makes uh, Pierce feel that they were actually stolen. Now, Pierce is concerned that the alligators uh, were uh, stolen and may not receive a proper diet or health care, which could uh, endanger them and uh, cause them harm. I mean, let alone a six-foot and a uh, four-foot-long alligator, which could kill a human. But uh, I guess you get I guess you get what you get if you're going to be stealing stuff. Uh, the alligators live their entire lives in captivity, and it's again it's doubtful that they could survive long in the wild, even in the Northeast, even being as big as they are. I mean, when it gets cold and the water starts freezing, they can last a little while, but uh, they can't last too long. Even a, a large one like that's going to eventually perish. Uh, Pierce also noted that the pair of alligators were not for sale. I mean, maybe that's the reason why somebody stole them. Hey, if you're not going to sell them, I'm going to swipe them. Uh, The pet store is located about an hour's drive east of Pittsburgh. What is it with Pittsburgh and alligators? What they had penguins in Pittsburgh. Uh, Back in June of this year, two alligators were stolen from Manhattan Reptile World in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, Sadly, one alligator died after being captured due to drowning, and the second one was safely captured almost a month and a half after being taken. So this uh, alligator survived over a month and a half out in the wild in Kansas. But again, that's during the summertime. It was from June to uh, toward the end of July. So that's not too out of the way for... uh, you know, that time of the year shouldn't be hard for alligators to survive. That's pretty much the prime time that people are going to see these things um, floating around lakes and and things. Uh, again, here in the Northeast, you don't expect it. So when you do see them, a lot of people are taken by surprise. Throw that link there in the chat room. And uh, speaking of alligators... Well, we've got, uh, this is pretty cool. I love the name of this thing. So uh, officials from Connecticut's Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Sounds weird to say that. Connecticut's Department of Energy 
and Environmental Pro- Protection. So they they are their acronym. I think they worked as backwards. They came up with the acronym and then just made up words. Uh, it's known as DEEP. Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Pretty cool. It's got to be the coolest name for a public service organization. Uh, anyway, they're on the search for a purported alligator that a witness says they saw crawl into a ravine. Uh, the sighting happened last Friday, and the Willimantic police, uh, they responded to the scene, but uh, were unable to locate the alligator which was seen near the Eastern Connecticut State University. Uh, No new information about this. Uh, It's only been a few days, uh, but no further sightings. Uh, This isn't the first time that somebody thought they saw an alligator, and it turned out to be nothing. Uh, But that would be interesting. Connecticut, I think that's the furthest northeast that we've seen one out in the wild like that. Uh, Makes you wonder just what's going on with these alligators. And, well, speaking of alligators, one more alligator story to go. Uh, But it's not an alligator sighting per se. It's kind of a follow-up on uh, one of the most famous alligator people that we've talked about. So I mentioned uh, just a few moments ago the alligators, uh, the big alligator sighting last year in Chicago. Uh, Well, it's... uh, Alligator Frank Robb, if you remember him, he became probably more famous than the alligator that he rescued. Uh, last year, uh, he wrote a book. Well, it was a children's book. It was a coloring book. He still wrote a book. I mean, he had to write words for it. Other people made the pictures. Uh, he's um, the head of the Environmental Education Awareness Research Support and Services organization that doesn't sound very cool as an acronym uh but yeah alligator frank rob was the big hero last year of the chicago alligator rescue Uh, that unfolded during the summer he uh, managed to wrangle the famous alligator chance the snapper and again he went on to become more famous than the alligator he was uh turning on the fountains he was throwing out the first pitch at wrigley field I uh, got the key to the city, was invited back uh, to a award ceremony in the fall. A big deal. Signing autographs in the, the uh, airport. I mean, he was famous in Chicago. Uh, and again, Rob uh, published a children's coloring book last year based on his encounter with Chance. It was called The Adventures of Chicago Chance and Frank Rob. Now, I've got the book, but I haven't dared put any crayons to it yet. Got to sharpen my green crayon for chance. Uh, well, this year he's published another book on alligators that has a target audience uh, target audience of elementary and middle school students. The book covers a lot about the science of alligators. It contains activities such as word searches, crossword puzzles, chapter questions, and more to help teach young minds about these uh, alligators and other crocodilians. And the book can be found at eearss.org and for an additional $10 not only to buy the book but an additional $10 you can have Rob personally autograph it and I can tell you uh, I did order the book and yes I did spend the extra $10 to have Rob personally autograph it and when I do get my hands on it it will 
be the book of the week. I never did make his uh, coloring book the book of the week, but uh, this one I think is going to be impressive. It's going to be good, and it's cool that he's writing uh, a book geared towards uh, younger children, not just a uh, a story talking about chance, but uh, also educating now. I think that's pretty cool uh, that he's doing that. So I'm excited about that. And uh, again, when I get the book, it'll be the book of the week. So let's see. One last cryptid. This is probably, I, I don't know. I guess I'll give this the big, I'll give this the nod as the big story of the week. How's that? So the last story here tonight in the cryptid area it might or might not be a cryptid i don't know i'll leave it up to you guys to decide this it could even be a ghost for all that matters um comes from us from facebook where else and it's one of the hottest paranormal viral videos uh this month i mean this month's only eight days long so uh it's certainly interesting and i kind of debated on putting it here in the show but i figured uh, it's getting a lot of talk it's getting a lot of uh People are going back and forth about this. And I'll be honest with you, it's it's kind of had me stumped. It's kind of had me stumped a little bit. Uh, the Facebook group 207, well, I guess it's 20. I hate when people say O. Oh. It's not an O, oh, it's a zero. So 207 Paranormal, I'm sure they call themselves 207 Paranormal, uh, posted a video on their timeline on September 2nd. It's got a lot of people stumped, including myself, a little bit. But uh, we might have an answer for you. And a whole lot of people wondering and arguing, of course, is that's what they do on social media. They argue about their opinions, uh, just what this camera caught. So 207, in case you're wondering, uh, it's the area code for the state of Maine. And as far as the video, if you've not seen this, uh, the video was filmed in Falmouth, Maine, a few days prior to being posted. Uh, so a witness driving along a road, two-lane road, and they thought that a deer crossed in front of the vehicle. So they uh, checked their dash cam video. So they were running a dash cam, no idea who this person is or the video, why they were running a dash cam, which is kind of suspect a little bit. You know, why are you running a dash cam at night? But, you know, people have their reasons. Um, but what happened next will shock you. Not really. It's not going to shock you. I, I just Those articles always get my attention, so I always wanted to work that into a story. Anyway, as the vehicle is moving down the two-lane road in the dark, so the road is only lit up by headlights of the vehicle. There's no street lights. Uh, there's no surrounding homes or anything casting any sort of light on the road. It's only the headlights of this vehicle. We see fences on the right, a few scattered driveways, and on the left see a lot of uh, just kind of shrubbery, I guess. Not a whole lot of stuff. Uh, we get the feeling that we're in a potential rural area. Not a whole lot of... Uh, there's houses there, but there's not uh, buildings and things like that. Suddenly, from the left, a dark, shadowy object appears and moves across the road, seemingly running in a straight line across the road to a driveway on the right. So the video is only a few seconds long. Uh, the buildup is pretty, you know, about 10 seconds. And then all of a sudden we see this 
this uh, shadow move across the front of the vehicle. And then, they, of course, they zoom in and they show it again. They slow it down and show it again. And then they show it again. And then they show it again. So it's uh, numerous times that the uh, this just this clip. So we don't – for me, I would like to see a lot more. Give me a good 10-minute chunk of video. Let me see them going to the store and getting a beer or something. I don't know what, but let me see a little bit more. That's just me. But uh, now at first, when you see this, a lot of people – Again, this person says they thought they saw a deer. So uh, my first initial thought when I first saw this, I didn't see it on my computer. I saw it on my phone. So it's really hard to see when it's small. Now, I thought this was just probably a deer moving really fast. And the dash cam is obviously pretty low quality. If, you, if you've seen the video, uh, there's a lot of pixeling. Uh, the, the, you could see the, uh, it just, the refresh rate's not very good. It just... It's not very good video. So I can tell you uh, I have a trail cam in my backyard, and I, I pick up deer, I pick up fox, coyote, skunks, rabbits, you name it, all kinds of animal, a, a, yeah, animals, all sorts of animals. And the deer, especially when they're young, they like to play around, so they sometimes they'll chase each other around the trees. And they also will look blurry. They'll look like ghosts because they're moving so fast, and you can see through them. Uh, because I don't have mine set on 1080. It's only 720 for video, and um, I don't remember the pixel size that I have it set. So it's not the greatest quality by on purpose, so I can fill up my SD card. And so I'm familiar with seeing this kind of stuff, and I've seen videos of this in the past. But when I reviewed the video again, it really didn't feel like it was a very fair assessment of what I was seeing. So I kind of went back and I watched it again, and, and something really bothered me about it. Um, I don't know. It, this thing moves from, again, left to right in front of the vehicle in range of the headlights. Uh, so I'm going to share here in the chat room a couple of the screen caps of this, and I think it'll tell me how many. I can't remember how many views that the uh, Facebook video had. If you go to the original uh, let's see, the original Facebook post, which is on the 207 Paranormal site. Uh, does it show? Well, it's got a lot of comments, 362 comments. It doesn't really, I don't see how many views it has, but um, it's pretty popular. It's been talked about by a lot of paranormal news organizations. It's been argued about from 40 and times, I think coast to coast is talking about it. So a lot of people are talking about this and this video has been put up in a lot of different places. Uh, so in the video, again, the object moves from the left to the right. So we can see the hood of the vehicle and we can see where the, the headlights illuminate the road ahead as well as off the sides of the road. Now I put in some, uh, blue arrows and that's showing you basically where, the headlights are shining. So the right headlight is a little higher up than the left headlight. That's pretty usual driving here in the United States on the right-hand side of the road. So you can see a little further ahead on the right so you're not blinding the driver that's coming at you on your left. And so it's pretty standard, pretty normal. And 
the little green circles there, again, I don't like red circles. Everyone else uses red. I, I don't like red. Uh, the green circles show you where the shadow is going through on this video. And you can see uh, in the one on the left, it's pretty much a blob there in the middle of the road. And then as it crosses, it, it almost looks like it's see-through. You can see the line through this object. You would assume that you see a shadow. You see an object. You shouldn't be able to see through it. Uh, but what really got me, and again, I, that doesn't really mean much because the refresh of a camera of an object moving that fast, uh, a grainy video is going to make it look clear. It's just, it's what video does when it's not very, really good quality. It's also at night. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Again, I've seen it in my own backyard, literally. Uh, but what, what really gets me is this is actually going through where the headlights should be shining. And you don't see any reflection from this creature. So if, if it's a deer running in front of a vehicle, and I've watched plenty of vehicle, I've even had I've hit a deer a couple of years ago, and I tell you, I saw it in the headlights. Uh, well, I didn't hit a deer. The deer hit me, basically. Ran in front of my car. I didn't have a chance to even get my foot on the brake before it slammed into my vehicle. But I could tell you, I saw the flash of brown and white in front of my car. And you would see that here. You would show see a reflection of brown fur and probably the white underside illuminated by the headlights, especially when the vehicle is moving closer. But you don't see that in this video. So the only possible logical explanation I, I came up with when I was watching this uh, a handful of times was that we're not seeing what, what I think we're seeing. We're not seeing an object really run in front of the vehicle. We're actually seeing possibly, this is just something I'm throwing out here, a reflection caused between the dash cam and the windshield. Maybe a bug flew in the car, flew in between the dash cam and the windshield, maybe a, a moth or something. Uh, and again, that would show up clear because it's close to the camera. It could also be a reflection of something outside of the vehicle above the windshield, not out in front of it. That would show on the on the cam kind of a. Uh, oh, gosh, what am I trying to think of the. Uh, gosh, I've talked about it a million times here on the show, the, the Disney World thing where they have you see the ghost. And the reflection. Uh, the light is hitting like a mirror, and the, and you see the ghost in the piece of glass. You probably know what I'm talking about. can't remember the name of that effect, but it's uh, pretty easy to do, and it does happen to people. Uh, a lot of UFO videos, especially shot from vehicles, are from that effect as well. So it, it does happen quite a bit. But um, Now, some people suggest that it could be an owl or a bat. So... I agree. It could be an owl or a bat, but it's not out in front of the vehicle. Because, again, it could be illuminated by the headlights. If this were the case, it could be a flying creature above the car's windshield. And it did reflect into the dash cam footage. But I think I'm overanalyzing these things a little bit. Uh, I don't know. But again, the driver says they saw a deer and went back. This is the reason why they review this footage. So maybe they did see something, but maybe it wasn't a deer. Uh, now, a lot of people are watching this video and they're, and they're putting in what they think it is. Because, of course, everybody's got an opinion on social media and everybody's always right on social media. But, again, just because we're stumped, we don't know what it is, 
doesn't mean it's paranormal. Uh, but a lot of people are claiming it's a bear. I'm pretty sure, you know, I've been to Maine. I've seen bears. They, a lot of them are pretty big. They're just as big or bigger than deer. Granted, there's some big deer in Maine. Uh, Black Panther was also suggested. It'd be pretty big. You know, those are pretty big. As big as a deer. Not as tall, but uh, pretty big. Some have suggested Mothman. I guess that's a possibility. Uh, and other things, too. Uh, fisher cats, which are large cats. I think you're onto something there. Uh, but over at metabunk.org, the folks over there at metabunk.org seem to think they have an explanation, which... Uh, uh, when this video surfaced, I started doing research on the video and looking to see other sources, what other people were saying. And I kind of came up to my conclusions before reading theirs. But I do have to kind of lean into what they're saying here. So their analysis includes what I talked about, about the not-so-good camera, the very poor quality, causing a lot of effects uh, that we see. But they feel that the dark object is not a deer. It's not a ghost deer. It's not a bear. Uh it could be a fish or cat, but their explanation is that it's just a regular household cat. So this would explain why we don't necessarily see a shadow. Since the cat is small, it's not going to cast a large shadow. Uh, and why we don't see a reflection from it, because again, it's a small object and it's probably a black cat. Uh, the reason we can seemingly see through it again is because the combination of motion blur and the poor quality of the video. It makes perfect sense. So it all kind of adds up. And that's been the uh, common consensus there on Metabunk. A lot of different people have added different videos. And uh, they've enhanced the the, uh, the video here of this Falmouth Shadow, as it's being called. And uh, I don't know. I kind of agree with them. But we'll probably never know. But uh, that, to me, sounds like the most logical explanation of any explanation that I've heard. If you've not seen this video, well, I've thrown some screen caps. There is, uh, I'll throw the Facebook link there. I know not everybody has Facebook, though, so um, I do have another link I can share if you're interested. Let's throw the Facebook one in there. I think most people have Facebook nowadays. Uh, there's that. And I'll throw another video or a link to the video that's embedded in a website, also in the chat room. So again, if you're not in chat, don't worry. During the week, I will be pushing out these links through the official Paranormal News Insider Facebook page, as well as the official a Twitter page as well. So Twitter and Facebook. And uh, wow. Most of your show tonight in the cryptid arena, but uh, we're going to shift to UFO news. It's been a lot of focus again on UFO news. I think UFOs overall have been the biggest focus so far of 2020, other than COVID-19, of course. But uh, paranormally speaking, UFOs are the biggest thing. And we've talked a lot about MUFON this year, and we have been talking about the MUFON sighting statistics for a number of years here on the show, and I like to break them down every month and, and kind of dig into some of these statistics, even though they're kind of misleading. I, I still think it's interesting to talk about it, but they have released their sighting statistics for the month of August, 
And I think I want to say like Tuesday morning last week they came down. So I would have had them for last week's show had I done a show. I was pretty surprised on that. And I'm pretty surprised too. MUFON is making a lot of changes. Uh, they've been talking about uh, listening to their members. Uh, they've been talking about making uh, some changes of some stuff that people have been complaining about for years. So I don't know. Maybe there's some positive things coming from MUFON in the future. But we'll we'll see. Uh, this year uh, was normal with UFO statistics early on in the year. But like most things, uh, the numbers took a turn. As spring happened, but not a turn for the worse. They they got uh, huge. So that's the word for it. In April, MUFON experienced over 1,000 reports worldwide for the first time since 2015. So as per tradition, uh, I made a prediction for August, and I don't think uh, uh, she's not here. Uh, so Dita's not here to uh, validate this in the chat room, but I'll be honest, I was off. Yeah, I've been all over the place this year, but it's not my fault. The numbers have also been all over the place. I think a lot of it's due to COVID, and I also think a lot of it's due to the UFO topic being popular in the news, but we'll talk about that in the next segment. Uh, my August prediction was 706 worldwide sightings. And with uh, 549 of the United States, as July's numbers jumped up a bit from June uh, at 769 worldwide sightings from 601, I should say 601 in the United States, sightings from 612 from 446. Well, I overshot it once again. So again, my prediction was... 706 worldwide and 549 in the United States. Well, MUFON reported 645 total worldwide sightings. So it was over by, well, 61. Um, with the United States turning in 518. So it was off by 31. That's not too bad. And, uh, yeah, so I predicted 706, 549, MUFON's numbers, 645, 518. Not horrible, I guess, but uh, I've been a lot closer than that. Uh, after the United States numbers there with uh, 518, uh, Canada was next with 53 reports. United Kingdom turned in 24. France and Brazil turned in five each. Australia had four. Mexico, India, and New Zealand turned in three reports each. And there were 22 other countries that reported, let's just say that turned in two or less reports, with 17 of those only turning in one report. And let's see, the United States, 518 sightings. California led the way with 78 reports. And we had, well, of course, and they should because California is, uh, you know, we say it every month, has got the largest population. So they should have the largest number of sightings. I mean, statistically speaking. And let's see who else was up there. California. Well, New York was a distant 
second with 37. And I just remembered, so I'm going to cut myself off here. Pepper's Ghost. That's what I was trying to remember the name of. It just popped in my head. Pepper's Ghost. So that the effect of when you go to Disney World, you go to the Haunted Mansion, you see the ghost dancing around the room. It's a reflection. It's pretty sweet. It fools me every time. I love it. Uh, anyway, uh, New York, a distant second with 37. Florida was third with 31. Texas had 28. Colorado and Arizona had 26 each. Michigan had 23. Washington had 22 signings in Oregon. And Pennsylvania turned in 17 reports each. And we had uh, Missouri. Well, they had 16. Uh, Minnesota and Massachusetts had 13 each. New Jersey had 11. Ohio had 10. Utah, Illinois, and Virginia turned in nine reports each. And one of my favorite things to do is look at the per capita. So I like to break things down uh, state to state. And, you know, numbers are misleading. So if somebody has... Um, so California has a lot. So there are tons of sightings. 78 reports, but if you break it down per capita, it's really not that impressive. So their uh, 78 reports translates to a 0.197, basically one in every 506,566 people reported a UFO. But that's actually better than the U.S. average. So the U.S. average, looking at the, the total number, uh, it's a 0.156 or one in every 637,356 people. So California was uh, above average, believe it or not. But some other notable states, we have Vermont. Vermont's down there, 49th in state population. But they turned in a 0.32 with two sightings, only two sightings, but way higher in California because their population is low, 49th in state population. Or basically, you could say one of every 311,994 people reported a UFO in the month of August. Uh, New Mexico, 37th in state population. Their number was a 0.333 with seven sightings or exactly one in every 299,547 people. Uh, Arizona, 14th state population, 0.357 with 26 sightings, or one in every 279,950. State of Oregon was 27th in state population. They had a 0.403. They had 17 sightings, or basically one in every 248,102 people reported a UFO in that state. Colorado, 21st in state population, 0.451, with 26 sightings, or one in every 221,489. But the uh, number one state, the highest per capita of the month was Alaska, 48th in state population, 48th state, too, I think that is kind of weird. Uh, 
but they only had four sightings. That's one in every 182,886 people. I think there's more moose and certainly more bear than that in the state of Alaska. So uh, that being said, there was a comment in the chat room. They should change. They should start changing their name. So uh, MUFON's been making some changes. They're talking about making some changes. And yeah, their name's a little weird. Mutual UFO Network. Well, it started out as the Midwest UFO Network back in 1969. So that's, they've kind of continued. They've kept the MUFON acronym, but they dropped Midwest to Mutual because multiple states joined in uh, on top of the, just the Midwest states. Um, so that's why they've, they've done that. But, uh, you know, all these paranormal organizations, everybody's got an acronym, especially ghost fields. Uh, so my prediction for the month of September, I know I'm going to be wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. On the record, I'm going to say 612 total sightings with 489 in the United States. So that's MUFON's numbers. But meanwhile, we've got the National UFO Reporting Center, and they're known as New Fork. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's cooler than MUFON. New Fork National UFO Reporting Center. They've made the news this week. They're reporting an increase of 51% in reports through this time last year. So unlike MUFON, which has a large number of investigators in nearly every state, a lot of people in other countries worldwide, New Fork is basically operated by one person. Well, actually two people, but one person Peter Davenport, but he also has a webmaster who uh, who fields the online forms, probably does a lot of work as well. Uh, but I do know that uh, Peter Davenport's phone rings constantly. He gets 25 to 50 calls a day right now on UFO reports this year. Uh, Davenport's nonprofit organization has reported over 5,000 UFO reports for 2020, with around 20% taking place in April, so as you might remember, MUFON also encountered a historical month of April. They recorded 1,026 sightings in April, um, worldwide sightings. And in case you're keeping score at home, MUFON has recorded 5,851 reports so far this year. Last year, the total for the entire year was 7,134. So I think we're going to break that uh, last year's number. Of course, much of this, again, in the spikes, is due to the lockdowns imposed over COVID-19. Uh, we should also consider that the news of the U.S. Navy releasing the archival footage of the already known three UFO videos or UAP videos certainly helped this. And also noted by Davenport is the influx of photographs and sightings of the Starlink satellites that were launched late last year. Uh, also, I didn't think of this, the History Channel's two seasons of Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation wrapped up last month. So a lot of people were watching that. So that probably also added to that. As we know, uh, MUFON was on a TV show, Hangar 1, that caused their spikes back in 2015 as well. 
while MUFON releases the total numbers of sightings, New Fork doesn't always do that. They don't always break things down. You have to do it yourself. You have to go on their site uh, and, and do the number crunching yourself. But in this article, we get to see a month-to-month -month as well as uh, uh, total, month-to-date total. Uh, January, New Fork recorded 601 reports. MUFON had 628 New Fork had 604 in February. MUFON had 540. Uh, March, they had eight, 807. MUFON had 883. Uh, April, the big month, uh, New Fork had 1,034 compared to MUFON's 1,026. May was 556. Uh, MUFON was 759. June, 357. MUFON had 601. July, 615. MUFON, 769 in August is 545 for New Fork and 645 for MUFON. So you got to remember also that uh, some of these reports are the same. So a lot of these could be the same sighting. Some could be explainable. Some could not. Some might be the moon. Some might be a star. Some might be a planet. And most of them probably explained uh, satellite airplanes, something other misinterpretation, maybe even a hoax. And also these reports may reflect historical data. So things that have occurred years ago. Um, so this big bump in April doesn't mean that UFOs began to swarm the earth or more people were out looking for proof of UFOs. It just means that more people decided to take the time to talk about a UFO experience they had, which could have been back in 1975, for all we know. So the numbers could be misleading, uh, but it's interesting to note that both these organizations encountered a spike, which tells us that it's it just wasn't a fluke for MUFON if it also happened to New Fork. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up tonight. I want to appreciate everybody for showing up in chat. I appreciate your support there in the chat room and uh, we'll be here next week we'll see uh, as long as the news cooperates we'll definitely be back next week but for now keep your eyes in the skies your ears in the woods the hair standing on the back of your neck and always keep your mind slightly ajar and above all else don't stop believing for the paranormal news insider this is dr brian d parsons reporting